when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Please note that this episode of Waypoint Radio contains a content warning for discussion and abuse. Captain Spirit doesn't open with an abusive father screaming and hitting his son. Instead, the game depicts Chris's father as someone who cares deeply about his kid, taking a genuine interest in his thoughts, observations, and superhero antics. But soon, he pours a beer for breakfast. Then, he asks if anyone noticed the marks on his arm. He eventually passes out. Video games have always depicted all manner of violence, but it's traditionally grotesque and over-the-top, issuing nuance in favor of fetishized aesthetic hyperbole. Though the Life is Strange series is known for melodrama, it's started by telling stories about teenagers dealing with unexpected sci-fi powers, after all, it worked because it felt grounded in the kinds of problems anyone could relate to. Life, death, friends, family, everyone's been there. Captain Spirit is no different. That, of course, is the voice of Patrick Klepek from his piece, Captain Spirit Tells a Fictional Story of Abuse. These people lived one. I'm Danielle Riendo, and this is Waypoint Radio, episode 177. Joining me in addition to Patrick today are Rob Zachney. Hello, hello. And Natalie Watson. Hi, hi. And we're digging into some pretty heavy stuff today, so hence, obviously, that sort of content warning up top. Uh, but... This seemed like a really, really good place to talk about uh, abuse in games and the ways in which abuse has been handled in games, specifically uh, in terms of characters and whether they have redeeming arcs and so on and so forth. Captain Spirit is a pretty natural place to start with that, obviously, since it's a pretty recent game and it has something of a nuanced take on what child abuse can look like, especially, I think, uh, Patrick, when you're writing about how sort of it is absolutely a game about abuse but it's also a game about sort of contending with very very deep personal fears fears that you even have said uh that you've had like what what would happen to me if you know something like this happened to me uh so i think that's probably a pretty good place to start uh have either uh rob and natalie have either of you looked at captain spirit at all by any chance i have not i've only um uh sort of read what we've reported on it so far sure. and um i was actually just watching uh a- another e3 sort of explainer and captain spirit came up again um like 10 minutes ago um Sorry. so yeah that's the extent of my familiarity with the with the game sure very much the gist of the game is that there's a little boy named chris obviously and he very much escapes his abuse he escapes kind of uh the parental abuse that he suffers from by sort of pretending he's a superhero and he feels powerful in his life and the tasks that you do in the game 
Uh, it's a pretty short game. Uh, the tasks that you do involve him sort of becoming more powerful and, you know, overcoming his fears. Things like, oh, going into this creepy basement and sort of fixing things or, or to, you know, get the laundry away. Doing all of these little things that I think uh, it, was, it was said in the piece that real, you know, survivors of abuse remember doing as children to kind of get out of the way of an abusive parent or to sort of help out around the house and not want to be blamed for things like messes. So... Patrick, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going on and on setting this up here, but do you want to talk a little bit about the piece and sort of where you were coming from in writing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I hopefully made the distinction that I didn't uh, like foresee an alternate universe where if my wife was to suddenly pass away, uh, that I would turn into a child abuser. It's of it's, course, you know, of course, it's it's more that just I think a fuck the, up. <laughs> just a fuck. Well, that, that's I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, yes, right. Like, so that's that's I think the yeah. illustrative and empathetic uh, portrayal that comes through in the story is we're like, I think a lot of people would rightfully draw the line and go like, you know, okay, yeah. I could see myself having some moral failings and, and, uh, and things like that. Like probably, hopefully not becoming a, a child abuser as a result, but like there is a really interesting portrayal of a father or, you know, you can swap, you could, you could gender swap that, you know, you could shift these roles around in a lot of different ways, but essentially like the, the failing, the natural failings of a person when put in a situation that, uh, is in, impossible to imagine how any of us would respond, and it's it's easy to understand how any of us might respond by not being our best self. And I have that is as I illustrated in a piece I, I wrote reviewing Captain Spirit was like something I think about all the time that I never really thought about until I had a kid, just because the stakes weren't nearly as high, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like you know, I, mean, I don't want to lose my partner, but that's like a whole lot different than uh, where I'm at now, where it's like owning a house and uh, you having a kid. It's just like what you have to lose, like the responsibilities on your plate are just so much different than, um, you know, just choosing to, to enter a relationship with someone and sort of the emotional stuff that goes along with that. Um, and I, yeah, I think Captain Spirit does like a really good job of making you feel shitty for feeling empath empathy, which is like a very yeah. difficult thing to pull off in that, mm. you know, like when I would think about it and it was such a delicate thing to write because as I'd be writing, I'd go, right, but, like, he might have, like, hit his kid. So, like, how, why am I showing any empathy for this person? And it's like, oh, well, because all the other stuff in the game builds, like, how this person fell into this hole. And you start to put together, well, how did this person get into that hole? Like, well, it probably started with the drinking. And then it probably led to this. And it probably led to that. And so you may not forgive the person for their acts because they're unf unforgivable transgressions. Yet, like, being able to chart a course for the character gives you a certain amount of empathy, even if you don't forgive them for the actions they take as a result of that, like, terrible journey. And that's just a really difficult sort of, like, high-wire act for a game to pull off, uh, for, for a narrative to pull off. Like, you know, game design. I think games do a very good job or are, are uniquely situated to provide that sort of context because games as a medium uh, have avenues for, like, lore dumping that just don't really yeah. work as well in, in, especially in movies, right, in television. I think like, exposition is really difficult to pull off in those sorts of mediums, but games have all ample opportunity to do exposition uh, and world building in a way that uh, allows you to sort of like bridge those gaps. So yeah, so that's, that's, that was kind of my takeaway of from Captain Spirit was uh, like on a larger, like 20,000 foot scale was like the successful ability to build empathy for a character that you ultimately really shouldn't feel bad for and don't feel bad for. And yet still you find yourself kind of scratching every once in a while and going, huh, um, which is, is pretty rare. Yeah, something I am a little not wary of is the wrong word, but 
I actually don't I don't take much of an issue with stories that humanize or allow us to sympathize with people who are toxic, people who are abusive, like for lack of a better word, like you're humanizing them. And that I think there's a line between sort of painting a like fully three dimensional portrait of somebody uh, versus rightfully condemning them as, uh, you know, condemning them for their behavior but also, and then in the process, reducing them to like cartoonish monsters. And this is right, like this is hard to parse. But um, the w- the way I would put this is like there are there are people who absolutely are like almost gothic villains uh, who are yeah. just ab- like so shitty, so cruel, uh, you know, so manipulative, uh, and consciously so, and choose to do so that they do like fit into some of our darkest stereotypes of what abuse looks like. In a lot of cases, that isn't what it looks like, and those are the harder cases to recognize. And I think that uh, is maybe the uh, experience that the more common experience uh, abuse that sometimes is even difficult to recognize as abuse. And I think there's value in telling those stories as well, um, and sort of presenting uh, characters who. We can recognize their humanity. We can sympathize with the hand they've been dealt and the and, and the, the struggles they're going through. At the same time, we can all also recognize that like they are inflicting like grievous harm uh, in you know through their behavior, and that is also who they are. And I, I think a tricky thing about narratives and stories is that I think they can sometimes reduce things into these really explanatory. Like the way we we said a moment ago about like, oh, you can see how this person fell into this hole. I do get skeptical of stories that say like, ah, here's the thing that made a good person go bad. Here's the here's the thing that like sort of altered their trajectory, Uh, because I think that is often kind of too, uh, you know, simplifying an explanation. But then also it can lead to stories that I don't know, promote kind of a toxic view of how. People like this are where like oh if only well, there were ways was to redeem before. them right yeah right, or right, like that there's right. something you can say or like some realization you can lead them to that like okay now they'll be good again if she like if she yeah. came back from the dead through a magic spell that suddenly he would stop being a shitty father like yeah right. like like yeah like the key to those narratives and I'm not sure if Captain Spirit pulls this off as much as as you're suggesting um it, it could have but yeah it's where like putting in evidence that well like this was here before right because like a person doesn't just turn in. To an abuser, maybe a process, but there's evidence along the way of like a toxic personality or toxic behavior. Um, I'm not sure. I was looking, even look. Maybe that is in Captain Spirit, and I just didn't come across it or uh, didn't didn't see it. You know, because so many things are optional in that game. Like the the view you get of a character is often built around like you know what scraps that you found and 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 what you're able to to be. You are right. Like most people are not a binary flip. Like it is, it is, it is a case where there was probably something wrong in that relationship before. And it's just that these events amplified the toxicity to a point that, you know, there's a point of no, no return. Um, and yeah, my good narratives find a way to like, at least let you know, like, okay, like there was a slippery slope here, but like, let's not pretend everything was great, uh, before. Right. I think or, that's or an inability. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Natalie. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to, I think that's definitely true the thing that i that like kind of i don't know that i get stuck on is the sort of um reliance or not uh, the the 
the grounding or like the catalyst being like addiction or like alcoholism in this case, because I do, you know, as someone who has a lot of experience with loved ones having, uh, you know, uh, problems with addiction or, or being alcoholics and going through recovery, like there is, um, something about those things that are very mind altering and per, like per, personality altering and behavior altering. And, um, although they, they may bring out things that, you know, typically we suppress as like fun functioning members of society and, you know, people that want to be personable and things like that, the things we feel sometimes are the things that we want to do, we suppress because we know they're not right, that, you know, drugs and alcohol may uh, lower those inhibitors. And so for me, having this sort of basis in alcoholism and addiction makes me a little bit more, I don't know if it's sympathetic, but maybe more like I hope for more of a redemption arc in or like I, I think there's more of a possibility for a redemption arc in this case because um, there is something else, you know, at work here that is not, that is outside of this person that is engaging with the demons inside that is like amplifying them to a further extent. So uh, I that that is where like these things get tricky for me um, in these sort of narratives that have this uh, layer to them. Yeah. And, and adding to that, I think another character that we're going to talk about today a little bit, and I apologize to everyone who is sick of hearing about the bloody Baron, because that's all that uh, game journalists talk about from Witcher three, but I promise <laughs> we have other stuff from Witcher three too. So don't worry. Uh, but the bloody Baron quest in the Witcher three is also very much a story about in many ways, alcohol abuse, as well as spousal abuse. Um, and I actually went and watched the entire thing last night, like the three-hour little movie of this quest that somebody had put together, because it has been, you know, three years since uh, I played it. But it is very, very, very much uh, it's something that struck me as being, uh, and sorry to get a little real here, but I have seen this on 911 calls. I have seen this kind of scene sort of in real life uh, on uh, in <laughs> real domestic abuse cases. And uh, the quest goes as such, in case you're, if you're not familiar with it, uh, Geralt in the game has to find Ciri, whatever, he comes across this bloody baron, this sort of uh, local ruler, local tough guy who has, uh, he, he needs help finding his wife and daughter. And it turns out he was abusive uh, to his wife, extremely, extremely abusive to his wife, physically abusive. Uh, he would get drunk and he would beat her. And there's sort of an exchange kind of early on in this quest. I'll just sort of read uh, from it. The Baron says, she always knew how to spark my ire. And Geralt says, your wife, how'd she make you angry? And he kind of makes a sarcastic comment. Too much salt in the soup. Socks never. Something about the socks. I didn't quite get that. And the Baron says, like, 20 years. It's something about the, not your, not your dog sock. I don't know. It's, he made some weird joke about socks. It's fine, yeah. And the Baron says, 20 years we've known each other. She's seen me drunk and sober. She was there to greet me when I returned the victor. She was there to patch me up in defeat. Like no other, she knew where to press, where to pinch so it would hurt. And Geralt said, you beat her for that, for criticizing you. Uh, and then sort of later on in the quest, there's layers of complication added where it kind of comes out that the Baron was this great soldier who went off to war all the time. 
He came back and he found that his wife had been cheating on him in a murderous rage. He killed the guy uh, and the wife uh, tried to stab him. And so he, he hits her and that's the first time he hits her. And then they kind of have this horrible, terrifying pattern of abuse. He causes her to miscarry a child. It's, it's a dark, dark, dark storyline. Uh, but what struck me last night watching it again was how much Geralt's sort of initial walking around the house, his initial sort of, uh, you know, figuring out something is not quite right here, really, really, really hit home to some sort of like domestic abuse cases I've been on uh, as an EMT, where I'm there to sort of treat the patient and this is what's going on and people are there to investigate what's going on and looking at the house and looking at injuries and looking at all this stuff. And it really struck me uh, as as something that was both incredibly difficult to watch and incredibly difficult to play at the time. And also now with that sort of further context in my own life, um, and, I'll, and I'll just be honest about this, I am also an abuse survivor. So it's not, it's not as if I see something realistic only from sort of other people's lives. It is, it is something I've experienced in some degree to my, in my own life, but it struck me as being, wow, this is really realistic, obviously in terms of the Witcher, uh, where it's a world where there are monsters and ghosts and other things, but in terms of being realistic, emotionally speaking, it really struck me, uh, how much that felt like, oh, this, this feels like it was written from either a place of experience or someone really kind of did their homework here. Um, and Rob, I know you probably have some thoughts on, uh, on this quest. It's, it's also something we've talked about in terms of Witcher 3, but I'm curious to hear, um, everybody's thoughts on this if if you have any experience with it as well as that sort of context natalie that you have towards substance abuse as a catalyst for some of this stuff mm-hmm. uh rob did you want to go first? uh no i, I was uh i'm happy to let someone else go first like because i know patrick also wrote a piece on it so like literally everybody has shit to say about this uh i'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy everybody's to... excited about this one yeah yeah, right. yeah. well excited is a word uh, <laughs> right. it is sure is a word let's Once dig into this in. banquet uh i do i can't remember exactly uh i do know that uh i wrote a feature for kotaku interviewing the quest designers um behind um the bloody baron quest and I, I remember them there was a point at some point in the in the feature where they did say that like they had some I don't, know, uh, I don't know. One of the quest designers. I don't believe they had firsthand experience being an abuse survivor, but had been part of growing up. They had been witness to um, various forms of abuse that informed um, how they tried to lend a, a measure of authenticity to uh, the quest, which I think like speaks a lot to you know when we talk about like you know like bringing in people from diverse backgrounds and bringing in people that can you know draw on real life experiences. Like there's. The, the authenticity of the Bloody Baron quest is, like, a huge part of why it has emotional resonance, like, regardless of your own personal experience. Like, I, I am not an abuse survivor, but, um, like, the fact that it both speaks to people who, like, Danielle, like yourself, like, you have had that. And that for me, you know, it works on, on multiple levels from multiple angles from multiple experiences. Um, and I think it, like, really speaks to, like, what is useful about having people who have lived that part of that life in order to bring a certain you know, degree uh, of authenticity to, to that experience. And the, I remember like, what's interesting is about, uh, is that you have relative to Captain Spirit, Captain Spirit, you don't have a whole lot of agency over the outcome of the story. Like the story is the the story and what you're really doing. And Captain Spirit is uh, just kind of walking around and completing some side quests. And then a thing happens at the end that maybe gives you some hope about the future, but it doesn't really 
do anything definitive. Um, there is no real conclusion. It like ends on a, on a on a cliffhanger, sort of like a satisfying cliffhanger narratively, but it doesn't. It's not a full resolution for these characters. You know, like you know, the, the kid is still in that abusive home at the end of that of Captain Spirit. And what's different about The Witcher is like The Witcher is a store is a game built explicitly on like making big choices, like forking in the road in terms of like you know, what happens next. And in this quest specifically, I remember it giving you all sorts of dialogue options that uh, allowed you, that didn't necessarily have a, I mean, you did have uh, big impacts on how the quest finished, but more specifically what I was impressed by was your ability to, like, make emotional condemnations or judgments of the Bloody Baron as a character in which, um, you know, you could say, like, you know, tell him, you know, actually you are a, like you're a fuck up, like you're a bad person. Like you could say the thing that like you're shouting at the screen, but the character never yeah. says. And like a lot of the dialogue in Bloody Baron is really effective because it feels as though it's actually giving the player options that they would have a natural response to. And sure, it still fits in Geralt's character, but more importantly, it fits with like how a player would naturally feel about like wanting to yell and wring the neck of this person. And like, you actually get to say those. So you get to say, you get to say the thing, but then like badass Geralt is like the one actually saying it, like makes <laughs> feel even better <laughs> right. about the outcome. Um, but yeah. that's a really, it's part of why that quest line is so impressive because of both like the different directions it can go, like the way it can finish out is, is radically different. Um, but then just sort of like the emotional responses, the player is given agency over, I thought was really uh, impressive. I think I totally understand the criticism and, and sympathize with the criticism of the Bloody Baron quest. Like the guy does unforgivably bad things. Like literally, he commits a murder. Uh, like through violent abuse, like induces a miscarriage. Uh, like this guy is doubly damned and triply damned. And I totally understand the argument that the guys didn't deserve the possibility of like the mild redemption that quest can give him in in its resolution uh and it doesn't and a character like that shouldn't be the one who gets to tell the story who gets to frame everything that you hear about the story is through his eyes you do talk to the daughter and like a lot of like you know a lot of it does end up tracking fundamentally like we're not given much reason to suspect the bloody baron is a particularly unreliable narrator but nevertheless like it's all his view of things, and he's the one. It's it's his story. It's not his daughter's. It sure as shit isn't his wife. I understand that criticism. On, I'm also sympathetic to the idea that, um, to a degree, it is dangerous to put out stories that portray like toxic abusers as being particularly redeemable. Because I think a lot of people, because what that says is like that is putting out there this idea that. If you just sit, if you just wait around long enough, if you just sit there and you take it long enough, maybe eventually behavior will change and the person will come. Like, and that's an incredibly dangerous and destructive thing yeah. to put yeah, out there. Definitely, but um, isn't it the player choice in Bloody Baron? Like, if you are if the conclude the story, isn't it? Isn't the quest writer saying he is redeemed? It is you as the character you are playing making an active choice to say, "I see redemption in this character." But I think it's like a very different result like there, there you are again i haven't watched the whole thing again but i remember distinctly it being if there is redemption is because you have chosen to bestow it on the character but not why? because the the quest designer said oh this is the way the story ends you as the player are choosing i am i am granting redemption to this person but why even know. offer redemption 
Because players like, are shitty, and they should reflect on the fact that if they chose uh, that option, they are shitty people. <laughs> but is there? Now. But is there anything in the game then that reflects that that was a shitty decision to make? Because I don't, I don't I know. Didn't make it. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't see the value of that if you're, if that's the statement you're trying to make, if you're trying to say like, oh, if you do choose to redeem this abusive person, then you know the game will kind of be chastise you for that or or reflect in some way that that was a bad thing to do or will the game just proceed like the game is always going to proceed because that's how games work games are always going to just continue and keep going and that's just i i don't see the value in even giving that offering unless you're well socks is not fucking having it I, I, I'm with Socks. Socks is very upset about it. Yeah. I'm very, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, are you fine? So the thing I'll say to that, though, is, like, again, I sympathize with that argument and understand it, and to a degree might even agree with it, but here's the other thing. Is that to an extent, people do change, and it's not through process. It's It's not this magic, like, hallmark redemption thing. It's... Sometimes people do horrible, abusive shit, and then for a variety of reasons, usually not through any sort of like narr- like any catalyzing event that you can point to in a narrative sense, like here's the moment everything changed and they became good again. Sometimes people just change and they do reconcile with their families. Like what resonates with me in a quest like that is, uh, you know, cards on the table here. Like for years, like. Uh, you know, my father wasn't, well, was an alcoholic, um, and I think could be described as abusive for good portions of that. And I didn't get it. Like, I didn't deal with it nearly as badly as like my sister did, who was older, uh, and, uh, had to deal with him being an alcoholic longer. But the point is when I look back at that, there was a lot of stuff that transpired that was going to be hard for the family to hard for the family to move past. Uh, but at the same time, like we did, you know what I mean? Like the, the proper, the, the, the story that maybe like, like my mom or my sister needed to hear, you know, back then was somebody being like, you shouldn't have to like deal with a person like this, like get this person out of your fucking life. Like that shit, like maybe that's the story that is more useful and responsible to tell. Uh, but at the same time, um, it's not actually the story that like happened right like like here's the other the one the one thing i'll say is if you wanted to have a version of that story where the switch gets flipped and like something makes the character wake up uh you could argue that there were light bulb moments that happened for my dad uh you could argue that like there were certain confrontations between like him and my mom and certainly between him and me that like started to change things around thing is though the light bulb moment happened like a dozen times it didn't change shit like not at first you know what i mean like there's no one moment you'd point to and say like ah the person became good it just through a slow process my father like changed and moved past that and the family recovered from that and healed and i would say largely we've been pretty happy now like, you know, within <laughs> reason for families. Yeah. But so when I look at a story like this and everyone's like, well, that guy, you know, that guy deserves to go to hell. And they aren't remotely comparable experiences. But at the same time, 
when I see like the Bloody Baron, like with his self pitying rants, you know, weeping, drunk off his ass, trying to like explain why he was shitty, like that's my life out there. And I'm glad that there was a story that reflected some of that and didn't, it it wasn't easy uh, and doesn't offer an easy moral. Uh, But I don't think stories like this, I don't think dynamics like that within families allow for a lot of easy generalizing or morals. I wonder if uh, part of the problem with video games is uh, like, so like what happened with, with you, Rob, sounds like something that, you know, spanned years and years and years, like, you know, over the course for the full course of events, you know, this quest line, even though it's very long, like it very long means three hours. Right. So I think part of the, the difficulty in portraying sort of abuse narratives in video games may just be like length as, as long as games are, that still doesn't necessarily give the full breadth of time to, to give that room to breathe where you could understand, like when you compress the, the changing of a person's personality or behavior into, you know, most quests are, 15, 20 minutes, right? Like, you know, this is three hours. Like, that's like a, a full, you know, long movie, extended edition movie length to, <laughs> to tell a story. Yeah. And even in then, if you come across from it going like, oh, well, this feels a little fast. Well, it's like, that's maybe inherent to the medium where it's extremely difficult to convey that passage of time. Even if you were to put it on screen a year later. Well, it's, you know, that's not, that's not, conv- that's not a year later for the person. Like their life hasn't evolved over a year where they've maybe had time to process and learn to forgive or, or you know all the things that go into uh, moments like that, but in a game, it, like the, the by the nature of how they're built, like things just have to flip in a certain way um, that makes it difficult for you to kind of see how that could change over time. Totally, and I think the the one thing that is I don't know a little bit strange about the medium of a game itself to tell these kind of narratives is that the player. I am the catalyst in this other person's narrative. And like right. what you were saying, Rob, it is such an internal process. It doesn't matter how many conversations you've had. I mean, I had a um, partner at a very young age that um, was a drug addict, and it didn't matter how many conversations I had with him at the time. There was nothing that was going to change his mind until he made that internal realization. And so that's the kind of weird thing about telling this sort of like by by grounding this sort of narrative abuse in sort of addiction or alcoholism in this case, because it is something that we're saying or something that we external to the situation that is supposed to make a change in these people's lives. And that's just not how it works. It's just it which is it's hard to participate in and it's hard to, I mean, I haven't played the bloody Baron quest, but, um, it, it, I, but, but again, like you were saying, Rob, I am sympathetic to the potential for that rehabilitation. I am, you know, hopeful for that. That's something I've been hopeful for, for many people in my life and in the past. Um, and so seeing that possibility in these narratives is, important to me um but i just don't see how me Geralt, has a place in right. this um because it's just not how it works uh unfortunately i wish it was um yeah. but and this one is difficult of course because this is a pretty dark and again like it feels like a pretty resonant quest it was resonant with a lot of people but it is absolutely shoehorned into not shoehorned into i don't, I don't want to make 
have a completely negative connotation here. But it is dropped within a fairly traditional game structure, right? Of an open world, you are a badass, you are the New York Witcher, you know, kind of thing. You are the, the you know, the plumber of the place, you are an awesome badass, there's monsters and all this other stuff. And mm-hmm. it is contending with that idea of you're the player and you are the most powerful person in this world. I think the Witcher yeah, hides you are that God. so much better. Yeah, basically. The Witcher hides that so much better than most other games of its ilk. And that's something we've talked about. We have a whole year of Idle Weekend episodes on on how much <laughs> the world of The Witcher feels much more lived in and much more believable because you can't make every great decision. You can't be the most powerful that you are in so many other games. I do think it, it actually has a lot more nuance than, than most games of its type. But it, it, it does still have to contend with this uh, in that way of you being this catalyst for change and you being this really important person who made certain realizations happen in this quest. Um, and that is a structural difficulty and it's something that is handled in captain spirit in a very different way in that you are essentially completely powerless in this game and that game is all about creating an illusion of power for yourself as a child uh which i think Mm -hmm. is really thematically powerful and and cool and done well uh but there are different types of games with different types of gameplay verbs that sort of all coalesce around these themes right so i do also uh want to bring up another thing from the witcher uh, which, Rob, I think you'll be able to speak to this a little bit more because my history with The Witcher is only Witcher 3. Uh, but the idea that Triss, uh, who's someone you have a relationship with as Geralt, has been uh, doing some pretty non-consensual things to Geralt and in terms of their relationship. And that is pretty messed up. Do you want to set that up a little bit, Rob? Yeah, like, that's the, that's the thing. I think there is sort of, there are sort of, larger threads running through the Witcher series and that start to really pay off in the Witcher three. But one of them is that uh, when the Witcher one opens, Geralt has amnesia. He's sort of been recovered by his friends at Witcher HQ at uh, Kyra Morhen. And, uh, and yeah, he has no, he has no memory of what the hell happened to him or why he's ended up here, but everyone remembers him. And, uh, and there's Tress. Uh, who is like, oh, you don't remember anything about like who we are to each other and, and all of this. And like you strike up a relationship. And by the start of The Witcher 2, like you're a couple. Uh, no matter what choice you make in Witcher 1, like Witcher 2 opens, you are a couple and you're like partners uh, basically in in this world. And then like pretty much the end of the first act of Witcher 1, somebody lets something slip. I don't remember exactly how, but somebody lets something slip that like, Oh yeah, you know, Geralt, you had a kid. And you're also like, well, what now? Like, first <laughs> I've heard of it. And he goes and he sits down with Triss and he's like, look, um, I need you to tell me what you're not telling me. Like, and however much it's going to hurt me to hear it, how much it's going to hurt you to talk about it, like, I need to know what you've been keeping from me. And what she's been keeping from Geralt, and what all his fucking friends have been keeping from him, is that he was fucking married to Yennefer... Uh, you meet in The Witcher 3, and they were raising a child together, uh, Ciri. And everyone's like, but dude, Yennefer's so bad. Like, she's she's toxic. Like, she was no good for you, man. Like, so we all kind of agreed that it was maybe for the best, that you didn't remember her, and, like, God. you know, we thought she was dead anyway. Yeah. So, like, we kind of just thought to to let this lie. And the game moves on from this. Like, Geralt, this is the one thing. Like, Geralt's like, yeah, that tracks. And, like, he's totally, <laughs> totally chill with it. Like, Dandelion knew about it. Uh, Triss knew about it. 
Um, oh God, what, what's the, what's was the, it Triss's idea? It, it Triss, I trick it Triss, like nobody else was there when when Geralt is rescued. So it was Triss who initiates all this. Okay, um, and just like hushes everything else up. So like it starts with her, but like all his closest friends, um, Zoltan, uh, the the dwarf, I think is is also in yeah. it. They're all yeah. cool with it. And I think as players, we're also sort of led to be like, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's Tress. Like, she's been your buddy for, like, two and a half games at this point. Like, yeah, it's it, it's fine. But what's always sort of troubled me the most about this is, like, to me, this, is, this always makes, like, The Witcher writ large as, like, kind of a larger story about, like, controlling people we love and, like, manipulating them. And the ways that can sort of like change or or taint things, and I don't think the game addresses with it. I don't think it addresses it head on or deals with it particularly successfully. But it does. Ca- like The Witcher Three is literally about like Geralt wrestling with the realization that like he's kind of accidentally abandoned his family because nobody told him he had one, uh, and totally like vanished from Yennefer's life, and has got to deal with all of that. And I always thought it was just a it's, a, it's a weird thing about The Witcher is that Geralt is somebody who was, by all accounts, like, yes, legitimately probably in a toxic relationship, even if not, like, an abusive one. But then all his friends decide they know best for him. And in a position where he's infirm and weakened, um, they go about, like, just radically changing, like, key fundamental, like, facts of his life uh, without his consent to sort of make him the sort of person they, the, the, the better version of himself they all know he could be. It's pretty fucked up. I mean, no one among us has ever not had, I think, the temptation to make someone date someone else if you hate their partner, if you think they're bad for someone. But non-consensually, like, involving someone in a relationship is just a complete and utter mind fuck it, it i didn't know this uh sort of it, when i started playing witcher 3 and i you know sort of was like yeah tris she seems great and, and kind of had this whole relationship with her and then sort of found that context out later and was i was i was upset i was mad for Geralt. i, I was not happy about sort of the way it went down which you know again it's not the same thing obviously as something like the bloody baron but it is as important to kind of contend with. And I like that the game is messy in certain ways. Although there is like a weird gendered aspect to this where it's like, oh, well, we kind of let that slide a little bit yet, you know, be, you know, I don't like, and I've never liked that uh, people will assume that women will always treat people well. Um, like I'll, I'll be honest, like I was in an abusive relationship with a woman, like women are absolutely capable of abuse as well as men are, which I know doesn't always look like the sort of traditional narrative as if a traditional narrative about it ever makes sense to have because everyone has a different experience. Right. But I remember being very upset sort of finding this out about Tris because of that, like assuming like, Oh, what's, what's a woman going to do? You know, like, Oh, it's fine. Whatever. She's just helping him out, man. And it's like, no, no, that's not what's going on here. That's. Seriously messed up. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, I do want to talk a lot about redemption, and there's a character or a couple of characters. Uh, we, can, we can move to Star Wars a tiny bit because I think this is actually <laughs> super relevant here. Pivot to Star Wars. Ready? Ready? You, you only get 25 minutes, Natalie. Space right. time. <laughs> We've got space time now, exactly. From the Witcher to the wilds of space. There is a almost kind of ridiculous thread here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame this as a, uh, as a key question here. Uh, if there is a point of no return, is there a point of no return for a character in fiction, if not sort of in life, right? Where they've done something so bad and so fucked up that no, it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter if they rescue puppies every day for the rest of their life. There's no sort of getting back on the cosmic scale of good. And the sort of key example of this, of course, is is Darth Vader, who has killed billions, trillion. I don't, I don't know how many countless lives, Lots. but gets to be, you know, the re- the redemption figure at the end because he he restored the balance of power in the Force, and they're obviously doing some things like this with Kylo Ren, uh, which I know, Natalie, this is something you definitely wanted to talk about, but I do want to kind of have that framing of redemption. Is that is there actually, is it useful to talk about redemption first and foremost? And second of all, is there sort of a, a calculus? Is there a point of no return? I definitely think there is a point of no return for redemption. Sure. I mean, I think it's naive and like you were th- saying earlier uh rob dangerous to uh uh to entertain the idea of redemption sometimes in some of these narratives i think it's um harmful and perpetuates uh sort of social norms or or can perpetuate sort of social ideas that just normalizing these things in a way that is um not good in my book um but uh, I hate what's happening with Kylo Ren. I'm <laughs> sure. so mad at it all the time when I think about it because I, I hate sort of this gotcha moment in, in these sort of narratives where they're like, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. Wait, gotcha. <laughs> Actually, he's doing a good thing now. And I hate the way that they're like placing this, this sort of, back and forth on Ray, who I just, I, I, I don't like it. I don't like what's happening. I, I don't know really how to explain it. Perhaps um, someone else can go into it a little bit more, but I just don't think that showing bad guys doing good things is particularly interesting. It's like so <laughs> fake deep to me. It's like so just... It's so superficial, and it and it's such like a cheesy thing to do. I, it just doesn't make the narrative more. In- I think it's like a very cheap way of creating depth to it to to add depth to a character that like doesn't actually go all the way through for me. 
Sure. Rob, it looks like you've got some stuff. Well, I don't know, but like, he is fake deep, though. That's the thing. Like, what I yeah. actually, I like this because... Because yeah, see, it seems like it fits within the character. Like, he actually is like a complete facade. He's a paper-thin personality, not because he's un- underwritten, because he's, like, he is, like, a facade, like, through and through. And so the idea that he would be flip-floppy, a centrist on being evil. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> Um, that's very true. That's very yep. true. It actually, I think, I, yeah, I, I actually am more uh, sort of with Rob on this one. Where I actually think, like, the fact that you're angry at like the anger you have towards him, I feel is actually reflective of the character being written in a, in a specific way to elicit a certain reaction that may that plays into archetypes of Star Wars and riffs on Darth Vader specifically. Right. 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 Uh, here's my other question: Is like. Is it good, actually? No. Uh, but there's an element of, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, in to a degree in this, Ray is being victimized with this fucking, like, emotional whiplash bullshit and, like, the way that she is, as a character, keeps, like, opening the door for him to try and redeem himself. And then he plays his fucking mind games. Like, well, I, you know, I know the real secret of your parentage. And, like, and then it culminates with him being, like, you're nobody. You're nothing. But I can make you somebody. But what I like about that is this is exactly the sort of fuckboy behavior you should expect from a <laughs> Kylo Ren. Like, yep. the the whole thing is, like, he True. believes that he can redeem himself. Like, yes, I've done all these bad things, but I'll have my moment where I turn to good. And for him, that means replacing Snoke with himself. For him, that's like, yeah, I killed the big bad guy. Now I'm going to be the fascist, and you're going to be my emotional uh, <laughs> my emotional victim uh, and sidekick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just I think for me, it's like Ray's coming out of, you know, maybe being like the most isolated person ever is she she just has no emotional connection to anything. The only emotional connection she has is to sort of the idea of her parents that are so far in her past that they're just, I don't know, complete figments of her imagination at this point. And so, and then she gets introduced to like the whole, you know, world of the resistance. And there's a lot of deep connections there. But her connection with Kylo is like the connection of the Force, which is like they're able to communicate with each other on this other level. And I just hate the fact that like her one intimate or just the most intimate connection that she has is is with this like toxic relationship. I mean, I like that she has this like um jovial like happy uh you know sort of buddies become heroes story with Finn. Um but I I just I hate for her the fact that like as she's figuring all of her shit out, as she's figuring, you know, out who she is that that the cl- the most insight she's getting is from Kylo uh, or it, it, at least it's the the one that is most influential in her in her head at this point. He's a terrible I could, toxic boyfriend. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Patrick. <laughs> oh, I was I was, I was just going to say like I think a lot of like how it like where this falls is like where the character like ends up at the end of like the next film. Totally, like, it's, it's I don't feel great that it's in. I, I'm a huge jj abrams backer and i think he did a lot of really difficult things wildly successfully with the force awakens but mm-hmm. um like i don't feel great about like his ability to land the narrative on this because i the last jedi was such a like specific repudiation of a lot of the things that he set up in the force right. awakens and the way they, those movies riff on each other is like 
one of my favorite things about the dichotomy of those of those two films. Um, but I think I think there's a way where you're totally vindicated in like like how you feel about those characters. I think a lot of it rests on like how, how where do they if it's it, the Kylo Ren brings balance to the Force and ultimately becomes like a good dude. Like that's like a really unsatisfying arc, even if there's a parallel with Darth Vader. But like he hasn't earned that, and so like my hope right. is that that character ends up truly being a fuck boy by the third one and like there's, yeah. an out, there's a rejection full, by, full fuck boy status yeah yep. a re, it's an outright rejection by ray in, in some way yeah. To, the, yeah he is like th- these movies are building to him being the big bad but if these movies play out the way that they should or the way i'm reacting to the character in the way that i think it wants me to is that it's setting him up as a big bad but he's actually just a small boy and that the, the third film should be like the reveal of that movie, like the 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 way these uh, it's crescendoing is actually like to revel and reveal his patheticness and Ray to essentially like squash him under his under her Jedi heel, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that would be like a very satisfying yeah, arc for those totally. two characters. Totally, I think the other thing Rob, is that yeah. with Vader, the entire reason, like, so like, literally in Return of the Jedi. Luke's whole argument with Vader is like, there's still good in you. I sense it. And really the response is, yeah, probably. There's good in most people. How much good? You know what I mean? Like, how much does it fucking matter? Right. <laughs> and yeah. if, yeah. if it's just a tiny percentage, does that mean you're, like, you, you are allowed to be? Re- like, what, what's the percentage we got to get over? <laughs> right. Redemption yeah. is possible. But, how many stat points do I got to pump into? And in the really childish morality of the original trilogy, where everything is, like, literally described as, like, dark or light. Uh, you're either, you know, full, you know, full dark or full light. Um, the fact that there's this, like, little glimmer in Vader means that in the end, you know... Oh, you belong actually back on the side of the angels. And what I like what they're doing here is that, like, yeah, there might be, like, some good in Kylo. There might be some humanity and, like, sympathy with him. End of the day, he's going to choose to be a piece of shit because he is a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, he loves his mom, doesn't want to kill his mom. Okay, watching his wingman kill his mom. Like, that's that's who he is, right? Like, And in the Star Wars conception of morality... Not being able to personally murder your mom, good. In the Ryan Johnson version of that, like not being able to like personally kill your mom, yeah, of course you can't kill your mom, you fucking idiot. Of course not. You're still a sack of dog shit. <laughs> yeah, good that's abs, a, though. He does. He does. That's the thing. Adam Driver just makes that character so much more interesting. Uh, thanks to his performance, that then I think I would have been interested in that character in the in the slightest uh, otherwise, for sure. Which is, you know, it's another, that's a craft uh, point. I want to ask, and this is something we've been dancing around a little bit, um, especially uh, at the beginning of the discussion, but I do want to kind of like ask this as a question uh, to the table here of sort of what degree does the framing of an abusive character as sympathetic uh, does that make excuses in some way for their behavior? And is it naive or toxic to do it at all, to to make uh, a, an abusive character or a character that is, you know, shown to be abusive in the fiction? Is it naive to do that or is it sort of struggling with something bigger? Uh, and this is a big question. It's a big question for fiction. It's a big question for games. But I think it's an important one to sort of contend with here. Um, first crack. There we go, Natalie. I'll go. I'll <laughs> go for first crack. I think yeah. for me, it really is dependent on. I I don't think there's like a an 
a yes or no to this. I think it's so dependent on like the context. And as we were saying before, um, you know, uh, when there are layers, uh, external layers placed on those kind of narratives of abuse that are, you know, whether it is like alcoholism or, or drug addiction, um, I am more, I see less danger in adding sort of a sense of sympathy because I do think there is uh, a chance for a redemption in those. Um, when people are like doing shitty things because they're, they're, they want something like, you know, when, what, cause it's always like they want something. And I think that I'm less sympathetic to that or I, I see more danger and I see more danger in, in just presenting abuse as is. And then asking for sympathy, like with, I said, I wasn't going to bring him up, but I guess I'll bring him up really quick. Like Humbert Humbert of Lolita, like a classic sure. example, P- just presenting abuse in a really romanticized way. Like that does not deserve any sort of of um sympathy or or mask of sympathy or anything of that nature so for me it's really um as someone who reads these stories coming from a background of um having been in uh uh an abusive relationship in the past with you know someone that struggled with drug addiction i I I take it quite I I guess I wouldn't say I take it personally but I I do think it's very dangerous to ever normalize or justify or um do those kinds of things um in these in these situations because that's what that's what that person was doing to me you know what I mean that's exactly the the things that that um that person did for our relationship was to normalize or justify or um, uh, rationalize those behaviors. And that was the hardest thing to break the cycle of. So that's my hot take on that question. (laughs) Good one. Yeah. Rob, you look like you're on the cusp. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, I'm kind of there as well. Like, I'm really wary of, again, through – we do this in life, but also in, with story logic, this impulse toward pathologizing behavior and saying, ah, here is what it was founded on. If we look here, mm. uh, the cycle of abuse explains why, why this person who is behaving like an absolute piece of shit, uh, actually they're just perpetuating a cycle that didn't start with them. So to an extent, maybe we should understand and forgive them. I'm like, I can understand it. I may not have an interest in forgiving it. And I think that's, that's where yeah. I come down. But in stories... Yeah, it takes away culpability. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, that's, that's where I get really wary of these things, where anytime a story introduces this idea that, like, there's some, uh, you know, Rosetta Stone of character that we can find that translates <laughs> the behavior today, uh, you know, into, like, into its original, into its origins. Uh, and in so doing, somehow, like, that's the key to a lock. No, it isn't. Like, understanding is not a doorway to change. Like, understanding is a doorway to understanding. That's all it will give you is perspective and a little bit of insight. Yeah. But I think stories prime us for this notion that, like, well, if we understand it, we can change it. We can diagnose it and we can can attack it. 
I've known a lot of people, uh, you know, who've had bad behaviors who were very good at explain or explaining or contextualizing where they were coming from. Didn't mm-hmm. change things. I don't have anything else to add except that for a half second when I was zoning out that you said abuse origins and I was like, is that like a game that I haven't heard of? <laughs> it's going. Oh yeah, to be. it's God of War one. It will three. be now. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Exactly. Oh, all right. Well, end the podcast, please. You're done. <laughs> well, that's the the new game. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I only wanted to end this. Obviously, there's no pat answers for this. Oh, Patrick, sorry. A pat answers mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. didn't mean I did not mean to make a pun. I want to just be clear. Yeah, well, I wanted the podcast to end before, but now I really want it to end. Now you want it to super end. Uh, the last note I want to say: uh, an organization, if some of these issues, particularly this is particularly for sexual violence, uh, but Rain is a really good organization uh, for folks uh, who might want some resources around that. It's R A I N N. Believe it's a rape, abuse, incest uh, network national network that's what it is i was like is it network national no it's national network uh they are at r-a-i-n-n.org and they have some really good resources in case uh some of this stuff today on this podcast brought up some uh bad feelings or stuff you want to talk about so i'm just gonna go through the typical ending uh you can send questions we need to do questions today uh but if you do have those questions you can send them to gaming at vice.com with the subject question shout outs as always to bowen for letting us use his track miss you off the ep pale machine we're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. We're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. We're on twitch.tv slash Waypoint. And you can read everything we write, including Patrick's excellent piece at waypoint.vice.com. Patrick, where can we find you online? At Patrick Lubbock. Awesome. Natalie, how about you? Uh, at Natalie Watson on twitter.com. Awesome. Rob, how about you? At Rob Zachney. Awesome. You can find me at Danielle R.I. If you so choose to follow me. And I remind you uh, today and this weekend and as always to please be good and be good at it. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.